You know, it, it's funny sometimes because, you know, you, you have this group of people that think that sometimes when a preacher comes up and he maybe sings an extra song or something that the song was, the songs before weren't good enough or whatever, that's not to sing. So, so sometimes when I come up and I feel like, you know, you know what, all right, spirit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. I'll sing this song or two or three, then that's what it is. But, you know, Thomas does an awesome job. Uh, and everybody here what, this morning was singing, so, you know, I'm just going to preach. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use every bit of my time. <laughs> every bit of it. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use my time to preach this morning. But really, really, really uh, exciting stuff is taking place, uh, and it's on the horizon. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad to be here with this congregation to get to experience some of this. We, we've had birthdays this past week. We've had anniversaries this past week. Uh, we, we, and I, I mean birthdays, not just in the sense of, you know, people who have uh, been on the earth for an extended period of time, but, you know, new babies coming into the, in, into the world. That's an exciting time, especially when everything goes well with the delivery. And so we, we praise God for everything he's doing uh, and everything he has done in the lives of our members and in the lives of the congregation that is here. Uh, uh, please, I want to just uh, make a plug really quick before we get into our text this morning. Please, I want us to really... Uh, really go ahead and save that date, October 2nd, uh, October 2nd. So I say October, you say? All right, October 2nd, right? Beautiful. Uh, we really want to come out and we really want to get into our community and make such a valuable impact. It's, it's, it's more than just, it's more than just, like Goyo said, you know, doing the traditional door knocking where we just knock a door, boop, 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 good morning, I'm from the Church of Christ. Uh, you know, we want to invite you to church. No, it's, it's, it's really not that. We want to get into our community and get to know the people around us. We want to build relationships. And so if we think about uh, what God has called us to do, if we think about this mission that we have as Christians, it's to really go into all the world, yes, and preach the gospel, but that gospel really comes through forming relationships with individuals. Sometimes you may not get uh, to say something to somebody, all they see is the life that you and I lead and live, and that sometimes is enough to bring them to Christ. But if we don't have a relationship with them, if we don't connect with them, then how would they see our lives? And so I want to encourage everyone, uh, save the date, October? Okay, beautiful, October 2nd. Let me do this because I, I've struggled all week long to determine how I was going to begin this particular series. For the month of September and, and October, we will be looking at a series I've entitled, What's in Your Hand? And the entire purpose and drive and aim and goal of, of this series is to look through different texts. And in this month, we'll be looking specifically, at least I will be, uh, over these next three Sundays, I'll be looking specifically at some Old Testament text where it, 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 it identifies uh, individuals and, and how they used certain gifts and talents and resources to accomplish the task that God had set out for them to accomplish. Then in the month of October, I'll be looking more at the New Testament to look at what it means to... Uh, utilize or, or, or to use your gift and, and your resources and see how that plays out in the life of the New Testament church throughout the, the, the forms of the epistles that we would find. 
And so again, the entire purpose is so that we could, could look at these scriptures and we could recognize that sometimes it's not, it's not the big things that make the difference, but God would, would, would have us to use what we might consider to be the small things to accomplish great feats. And so uh, the entire series is entitled, What's in Your Hand? And so on this morning, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. It's, it's really difficult because I, I, I really, my, my entire focus in this series and even on this morning is going to be centered around verse number two of Exodus chapter number four. But before you get to Exodus chapter four and verse number two, we have to build some context going back to chapter number three. So we want to get to Exodus chapter four verse number two, but before we get to Exodus chapter four, verse number two, we need to build some context going back in looking at chapter number three. Are you guys in Exodus? So make your way into Exodus chapter number three, and, and I won't really spend time reading through all of this. I'm going to encourage you uh, to take the opportunity on your own to read this at home, Exodus chapter three and Exodus chapter four. I want to encourage you to read as much of Exodus as you, as you possibly can uh, during the course of this week. But, but if you would take the opportunity to read Exodus chapter three and chapter four in its entirety, I, I think it would serve you really well even as you go back through your notes and as you peruse through this text on your own after the service and after today has concluded. But I want to walk us through what's happening in Exodus chapter 3 because so much of what's happening in Exodus chapter 3 is also very much pertinent and helpful for us as we walk in a 21st century context in our relationship with God and in this mission that he has called us to be a part of. In Exodus chapter number three, we, we have Moses, and by this particular point in time, he has fled from, what, from the home he has known for about 40 years. For 40 years, he would have grown up in, in Egypt, and there came a point in his 40th year where he was walking the streets and he saw an Egyptian taking advantage of uh, a fellow Israelite, and so he stepped in there. He looked left and he looked right, is what you would read in chapter number two. And when he saw that no one was around, he struck this Egyptian down. And so the very next day, he is, he is walking around again, and he sees this time two Israelites fighting. And so he steps in there, and he, he tries to part their division. He tries to stop their fighting. And, and one of the individuals say, are you going to do to me? This is an Israelite talking to Moses. And the Israelite says to Moses, are you going to do to me what you did to the Egyptian on yesterday? And so Moses says, oh, no. <laughs> They, 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 the, the cat is out the bag, they, my, my, my secret is known, and so because he understands Egyptian law, he, he knows that his life is going to be on the line. So Moses flees Egypt, the place he has called home for 40 years. He flees Egypt and he ends up in this place called Midian, and, and it's in Midian does he encounter this young woman and, and, and he marries and he becomes a part of her household. And so now 40 years has passed while he is in Midian. And, what, and one day after the 40 years has passed, he sees a sight that he has never seen in his life before. He sees this 
image of this bush that is burning, but clearly it's not being consumed. And almost like a moth is drawn to the flame, he says within himself and to everyone else around, I have to go and see this particular site. God has called Moses in a divine way through this divine format of this burning bush that was not being consumed. No sooner did he make his way up into the mountain and as he begins to come in to the presence of what he sees, does he hear this voice that, that shouts out from the burning bush, Moses, Moses, and he would say, yes, here am I. He would say, and the voice would say, stop right there. You guys remember this? It would say to him, take off your sandals for the ground that you walk on is holy ground. I'll deal with that just in a little bit. And so Moses has to take off his sandals. And as he takes off his sandals, here is this voice that is now indicative of the one whose presence Moses is in. And, and this person would now go on, this being would now go on to identify to Moses who he was and why he is there. So he would say to Moses, I have heard the afflictions of my people and I have come to be a deliverer unto them. I have heard their, cry, I have heard their cries and I have seen what has been happening to them for 400 years and I have come down to deliver this people. And so I want us to appreciate in chapter number three, as we, as we recognize the context of what's taking place, number one, God calls Moses. He draws Moses in through this, 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 this burning bush scenario. But not only does God call Moses, but God also communicates to Moses who he is. And so he reveals, number one, who he is. But also he reveals to Moses why he is there. And number three, he reveals to Moses his plan for the future. So God not only calls Moses, but God also communicates. I want us to appreciate the same God that calls us is the same God that communicates with us. The same God that draws us in is the same God that gives us revelation. But not only did God call Moses, say God calls. Not only did God communicate, say God communicates. And that's important. I'll, I'll tell you why in a little bit. But, but thirdly, not only did God call him and not only did God communicate, but God also commissioned. And I need for us to understand that as we look at this particular account with Moses, it's almost patternistic for what God does with us even today. God calls us through the gospel. Not only does he call us through the gospel, but he communicates to us who he is through the gospel as well. But not only does God call us through the gospel, not only does he commission us through the, sorry, communicate to us through the gospel, but he also commissions us as well. So God called Moses, he communicates to Moses, but he also commissions Moses. So he says to Moses, yes, I am the deliverer, but you are going to be the one that I will send to Pharaoh to be a deliverer 
to the people of Israel. I have come to deliver, but I will send you to be my conduit for delivery. The power is mine to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, but I will use you as my messenger. You guys understanding this? I'm using you. You will be my partner in this plan of redemption to save the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. So Moses becomes a pattern for us as we understand that God calls, God communicates, but he also commissions. But in this process of this dialogue that God is having with Moses, as God indicates to Moses, I am commissioning you, and as God indicates to Moses, I, I have given you these instructions, and you have a job, and you have a task to go, Moses starts to make some excuses. Look down at uh, Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 11 really quickly. In Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 11, after God indicates to Moses who he is, after God indicates to Moses why he's there, after God even commissions Moses to go, here is what Moses realizes. Moses realizes that his time has come. But now that he's realizing his time has come and that he has been mandated to go, now he's trying to find a way of coming out of the mandate. If you read, and we don't have time, but if you're taking notes, I want you to take these notes down. If you read Acts chapter 7, from about verse number 17, following the, uh, the young evangelist Stephen is preaching to, to, to some religious leaders there, and he's speaking concerning these events of Moses' life. And so, if you conclude what's happening in chapter number 2, where Moses has this engagement with the Egyptian that was beaten and taken advantage of the Israelite, and he snuffs his life out, you would read roughly around verse number 23 that Moses supposed that the Israelites were going to know that he was going to be the deliverer of, to the people by his hands. And so he kind of stepped in front of God in that incident. He, he thought this was the moment where I was going to deliver God's people because all along, even though Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household and even though Moses grew up under the Egyptian nation, he learned his history from his mother. At a very young age, when Pharaoh had decided to kill all the boys two years and younger. God provided a way and a means to secure Moses' life. You remember this. And so he was put in a basket and he was sent down a river and his younger sister would cast an eye to make sure that everything was all right. And providentially, the, the, the basket made its way to where Pharaoh's daughter would see it. And Pharaoh's daughter would see the basket and she would tell her servant, go and get that basket. And as they, they pull the basket out of the water, she sees this beautiful baby boy. And something stirs within her. She can't bring herself to, to give the child up because giving the child up would mean certain death. So she concludes, I'm going to raise this child 
in my household. But here is the problem. She, she didn't have means to suckle the child. She didn't have means to feed the child. And so here comes Moses' little sister. And uh, sorry, older sister. I'm saying little. He was a baby at the time. Moses' older sister. And she, she says, listen, you, do you want me to go and find one of the women among the Hebrews? Guess who she goes and brings? Her mom. So even though Moses was, was born and raised in the household of the palace, even though Moses was born and raised under an Egyptian name and under Egyptian law and under the Egyptian nation, he learned his history. And part of his history that was taught to him by his mother was that you were going to be a deliverer to the people. So when the time came, he thought that now was the time for him to step out and deliver God's people from the hands of the Egyptians. But it was not time as yet. So God has to take him into Midian. God has to take him into the wilderness. God has to take him into this place for 40 years to train him, train him up in the ways of what it would take for him to be a good deliverer or a good shepherd. I want you to see this to the people. Sometimes we want to do things, but we might not be ready yet. But at the same time, God says, I will put you through a training process. You want to become the thing that God has called you to be. It doesn't come by just sitting back and watching TV. It doesn't come by sitting back and simply praying. There has to be a process of trial and error. There has to be a process of practice. There has to be a process of practical training for us to get to the point of, of, of becoming the thing that God had always intended for us to be. You guys with me? So God had to take Moses and bring him to a place and spend 40 years with him, allowing him to go through the land, allowing him to understand what it takes to become a, a good deliverer and a good leader by allowing him to become a shepherd of sheep. As a shepherd, he, he would have some very basic tools with him at all times. As a shepherd, more than likely he would have a rod in one hand and a staff in the next. And you would learn to wield these very simple items in very specific ways. Depending on what it was, you, you, you would use your rod as a, as a means of protection against wild animals and, and predators. Or sometimes, depending on when the sheep may have been going a little bit astray, you could have tapped the sheep in particular ways and, and bring the sheep back on course. So as a shepherd, you, you would learn to navigate where would be the streams that, that flow gently that you could take the sheep to get some water to drink. As a shepherd in Midian, he would know the places to go that the sheep could find food. As a shepherd, he would understand where was the treacherous places and, and where were the prosperous places. As a shepherd, he would learn to tend to sheep. And so it wasn't until he had learned the tools and the skills necessary being a shepherd that God say, it's now time you're ready to be a leader to these people. So Moses begins, even though God has identified to him, Moses, now is the time he begins to make some excuses. Here is what he says, for example, in verse number 11. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? 
and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses, are you, are you serious? Are you real right now? You, you've been taught your entire life that you were going to be a deliverer, that you were the man that God was building up, that you were the person, you were going to be the answered prayer that these Egyptians have been praying for countless centuries. What do you mean? Who are, who are you? Sometimes in the face of the gravity of our work, we could begin to diminish who we are. Sometimes because the work ahead of, ahead of us is so great, we begin to recognize how small we really are. Sometimes because the enemy is, is so vast and so great, we begin to focus not how great God is, but we begin to focus on how glaring our weaknesses are. We start to look at our deficiencies as opposed to leaning on God's all-sufficiency. So Moses recognizes that his time has come, but even though he recognizes that his time has come, he begins to make some very human excuses. Who am I? I can't do this. Who am I going to tell the people sent me? And lastly, he would make the statement to God, listen, I want you to understand that I, 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 I don't have good speech. I, I can't string words together too fast and too well. And, and so God has to get irate. God says, listen, number one, don't worry about it because who is the one that made the tongue to begin with? I'll, I'll loosen your tongue for you. Don't worry about that. And even if you're worried about that and you're worried about assistance and you're worried about help, I want you to know that you have somebody there that could be your mouthpiece as well, speaking about his brother Aaron. But I'm trying to help us to recognize that in as much as we, we know the task that God has given us, many of us are quick to make excuses. Excuses why we can't do the task. Excuses that sound like this. I am too young to go into this field. Or maybe I am too old to go into this field. Or maybe I can't talk like those preachers and those elders to, to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. I'm a loner. I, I really don't do well with people and with crowds. And so that's for somebody else. I'm not really a people person. You, you, you guys have heard some of these. I'm not really a people person. And so, you know what? I, 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 that's leave, call somebody else who is an extrovert. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an introvert. And so we come up with all the excuses in the world as to why we don't find ourselves busy about the mission and the task that God has called us to as Christians. But in as much as Moses made some excuses, I want us to recognize that he ultimately submitted to God. Because while he was making these excuses, he had, he had already indicated long before he began making those excuses that he was willing to submit to the God that had drawn him close. Let me show you what I mean. When God calls Moses through this burning bush, Moses finds himself in the presence of the burning bush, and he is walking toward the burning bush. No sooner does he begin to walk toward the burning bush does he hear the voice that cries out saying, Moses, 
Moses, stop. Take the sandals off of your feet because the ground that you are walking on, it is holy ground. Before Moses could come into the true presence of God, he has to take some stuff off. Before Moses could truly partner with God, he has to remove some things. Before Moses could really commune with God in a proximity as a man would commune with his friend face to face. And we should appreciate that expression more in COVID time. Before Moses could come face to face, figuratively here of course, with God, he had to remove some things. So God says, take off your sandals because the ground, the ground that you are walking on is holy ground. What made the ground holy, Brother Morgan? It was God's presence being there. Moses walked up the entire mountain, and the mountain, quote-unquote, wasn't holy, so to speak, but the spot in which the burning bush was, God says to Moses, take off your sandals because this area right here is holy because I am holy. Watch this. If you and I want to partner with God, if you and I want to commune with God, if you and I want to be in proximity, that real proximity that reflects relationship and partnership and connection, God says, before you can partner with me, you have to remove some things. So he says to Moses, and I'm not going to take off my shoes. I should have wore sandals. He, he said to Moses, take off your sandals, church. For the ground that you are walking on is holy ground. Watch this. Taking off sandals, I'm going to do this really quickly. Taking off sandals, as I've done some, some reading, uh, quite, quite extensive reading on, on, on that to begin with, maybe about, about three and a half weeks now just reading on, on this kind of stuff. But there, there are three things, and there are more. If you do your own personal reading on what taking off your sandals could, could mean and symbolize, you'll probably come with six or seven. But I want to I wanna identify the, the three main ones that most people will, will kind of conclude when you talk about taking off your sandals in this culture and time that we were dealing with. Number one, taking off your sandals was a token of respect. When I was growing up, you didn't just walk into somebody's house, somebody's home, with your dirty shoes on. So it's kind of em em embedded in me now. It doesn't matter. When people tell me, no, you don't have to take off your shoes. I still wash them in the eye and I slip it off. Because to me, it's a token of respect. I'm stepping into your, ho your home, your abode. You might have children or whatever, and I don't care if you have dogs or cats, and I know dogs or cats, you know, they're clean, their tongues are, but not everything else might be, right? <laughs> but the point is, it doesn't matter what you say to me. In my mind, as I step into your house, I take off my shoes because I want to show a token of respect to the people whose homes I'm stepping into. So when Moses steps into the presence of God, he, God tells him, take, so, take off your sandals because I want you, Moses, to recognize that you are in the presence of greatness. You know what's interesting about this particular incident here? If Moses were to step into the presence of royalty, known royalty, he would have immediately prostrated himself down. Because when you engage in the presence of royalty of a king, you approach the king in a humble way. You literally would get down on all fours with your buttocks stuck to the air and your head 
touched to the ground, you would bend down and you would prostrate yourself in the presence of a king. Moses didn't know yet whose presence he was in until God made known you are in the presence of the creator. You are in the presence of the sustainer. And so you didn't know before, and so I don't want you to make a misstep. I'm telling you right now, Moses, where you're walking is divine. Where you're walking is sacred. Where you are walking is holy. So show some respect. That's the easiest way for me to put it. But number two, uh, some, many scholars attribute this act uh, as a signifying uh, act of putting off earthly or prof profane in your approach to God. So it was a, 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 it was a symbol that you were willing to put off the flesh. It was a symbol that you were removing that which could not come into the presence of God so that you could have a communion and a face-to-face -face type of interaction and relationship with God. God is calling. God draws. He wants to have communion. He wants to have fellowship. But in as much as he calls, there are some things that we have to take off. We have to take off the earthly and the profane. But number three, and here is where I will hang my hat on this. Number three, as we think about the, the reality of taking off your sandals, it is an act. It is seen and was seen as an act of fully submitting and surrendering to the one whose presence you were in. So even though Moses began to make excuses during the conversation, the fact that he would have taken off his sandals to begin with was an indication that I am willing, God, to submit to you. I am willing, God, to subject myself to you. I am willing, God, to listen to you. So even though he outlines all his excuses, ultimately he goes because he was committed to submitting to God. Anybody here ever came up with excuses not to do something that you know you were supposed to do? Anybody here struggling to still get past those excuses? God gave Moses everything that he needed to push past the excuses and submit to him. It's one thing to have excuses, David. It's the next thing to say, you know what, I know I might be slow of tongue. I know I can't speak like some of these other men speak. I, I, I know I don't know the Bible as much as some of these other brethren know the Bible. It's one thing to know your limitations. It's the next thing entirely to allow your limitations to deter you from doing what God said that you need to do. So in other words, we all would have, have certain limitations. We all are limited to some degree, but God says, I know you have limitations, but I am limitless. So don't trust in you. Trust in me. Because guess what? I am the deliverer. I was the one that heard the prayers. I was the one that heard the cry. I am the one that have come down to be a deliverer. I'm just asking you to partner with me as I bring these children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Will you? And so God is still making the cry for us today, I am the deliverer of all mankind. Amen. I have heard the cry of the oppressed. I have heard the cry of the sin-sick soul. 
I am the one that have come to deliver all of mankind to offer them eternal life. I know you have limitations. I know there are things that you cannot do on your own. I will empower you, but will you partner with me? So we finally get to chapter four, and this is where I'll end my sermon on this morning. We finally get to chapter number four. Then Moses, in verse number one, answered and said, but suppose they will say, uh, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, check this, if you're in verse number two of Exodus chapter four, what is in your hand, Moses? What's in your hand, Moses? And he would say to God, obviously, if you're reading there in, in, in Exodus chapter 4, number 2, God would, he would say to God what? A staff, some translation may have a rod. A rod or a staff, right? What's in your hand, Moses? A rod. And God would go on to say, well, okay, throw, throw that rod on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses would get all scared, and, and then he would tell him, you know, grab the, the snake or the serpent by the tail, and it became a rod again. Then as a secondary sign, he would tell him, well, okay, you know, take your hand and stick it inside your bosom and pull it back out. It was, it was leprous, white as snow, and he would tell him, put it back in, and it became whole again. These were all going to be signs to indicate that I, the great I am, have sent you. But the point I want to drive home is that the only thing Moses had literally, to accomplish the task that God set out for him to accomplish in delivering the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage, notice this, was a rod in his hand and a brother that was making his way up the mountain to be at his side. So when I look at this text and as I think about this series and as I think about the purpose behind this preaching series, it's, it's really for us to be able to identify what are the things and the resources that God has placed within our hands, placed within our lives to be used for his honor and for his glory. Oftentimes, if we're not careful, we could think that the things that God has blessed us with, we, he has blessed us so that we can enjoy on this side of heaven. But every single thing, if you're taking notes, take this down. Every single thing that God has blessed us with, he blessed us with so that we could accomplish the task of bringing as many as we can to Christ. Everything we have, everything we own, everything that's in our hands, God has given to us and he will empower us to use in the mission of freeing men from slavery of sin. How many people have houses? Come on, show me a raise. How many people have houses? That's a tool to be used. How many people have cars? That's a tool to be used. How many people have education? That's a tool to be used. How many people like to talk? Raise your hands. Let's see. I know who to not. That's a tool to be used. How many, how many people could bake? That's a tool to be used. How many people could cook? That's a tool, whatever skill, whatever ability, whatever resource you and I have. Church, I don't know if you're seeing this. Whatever you have been blessed with, God said, I have given this to you and I will empower you if you submit to me and use it in the mission I've given you. Watch this and I'll be done. Watch this and I'll be done. So I run was used in Pharaoh's throne room. It became a serpent 
as Moses and Aaron approaches Pharaoh for the very first time. A rod was used to turn the water in Egypt to blood. A rod was used to call frogs from the water onto the land. A rod was used to smite the dust of the land and bring lice forth in, lice forth in one of the plagues. A, a rod was used to call hail from the sky. A rod was used to call a train of east wind that taxied locusts and bring it into the land of Egypt. But then Moses would go on to use a rod to part the Red Sea. He would be instructed by God to strike a rock and with the rod and bring forth water so that the people could drink. At a point in time when uh, the train of Israel would fight against Amalek and, and his armies, a, a rod would be used. As long as that rod was in Moses' hand and as long as the rod was lifted high, as long as it stayed there, the children of Israel would have prevailed against Amalek and his armies. But as soon as the rod came down, the army of Amalek would, would prevail against the children of Islam. I'm trying to help us to recognize that this rod, though simple, this rod, though minuscule, became a very great tool in the hands of the servant of God. So yes, it was a rod. Yes, it was a piece of wood. Yes, it was a common tool. Every single shepherd that was there on the face of the earth at that point had a rod or a staff, if not both, and yes, in the grand scheme of things, it was insignificant, but, but please understand, please understand, we, we serve a God that is able to take the insignificant and make it invaluable. Please understand that, that we serve a God that is able to take the minuscule and make it into something that is massive. Please understand that we, we have a God that could take something that seems so trivial and make it into something that is so tremendous. So God will take what you have and what we have, if we are willing to use it in submission to his will, he will take it and he will magnify it. But first, we need to stop making excuses. Say stop making excuses. Secondly, we need to take stock. Say take stock. And thirdly, we need to step into the work. Say step into the work. So God calls us to take stock. He calls us to stop making excuses. And he calls us to get active in the work by submitting ourselves to his will. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. What are the things that God has blessed you with? And as I say this, I want us to appreciate that I'm, I'm not necessarily just talking about physical things because... Here's the thing, right? The rod represents things, but Aaron to Moses represented people. Has God blessed you with a mother and a father and a husband and a wife? Has God blessed you with children? Whatever you have been blessed with, God asks of you and me the question, what is in your hand? I want us to take stock. Don't take stock of the limitations take stock of the blessings. And you, as you recognize what God has blessed us with, look past the limitations and step into the work. October what? Second. All right. What's in your hand? Let's